Hello, lab mates, and welcome to the STEM Lab Podcast, where we highlight women in STEM, that is science, technology, engineering, and math, especially women of color. I am your host, Dr. Sabrina Walfall, and I'm here today with me. Yay! Lab mates, we are midway through the season one of the podcast, and I thought this was a great time to reintroduce myself to you. I am currently an associate professor of science and the pre-health and science coordinator at Mercer University's College of Professional Advancement in the Department of Mathematics, Science, and Informatics. I have a PhD in biochemistry and molecular genetics from the University of Alabama at Birmingham and a Bachelor's of Science in Biology from Emory University. I have completed two postdocs, one in the lab of Trigvis Talibal using epigenetic techniques to study caloric restriction of cancer cells. My second postdoc was with the Community for Outreach Development at University of Alabama at Birmingham. This lab was located in the McWayne Science Center in downtown Birmingham. The background that I have received from my postdocs as well as my graduate studies led me to a life of STEM interest. I believe that I am a STEM advocate, a lover of curriculum development, and also a STEM activist for the inclusion and equity of women and minorities in STEM fields. As I do with all of my guests, I will talk to you about my career, my journey, and my wisdom. Once again, welcome to the STEM Lab Podcast. So, tell us a little bit about your career and where you are now in STEM. Well, I would say that I am in the science portion of STEM. As we know, STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math. And so I fit more in the science area. As I said in the introduction, I am the science coordinator and the pre-health coordinator for our department. So that means that as a professor, I also oversee students who would like to do pre-nursing or pre-pharmacy, or who are just looking to take those prerequisite courses so that they can either take the MCAT or get into dental school. They may have been out for a while and their courses are over five years old. So I really oversee that. How did I get here? Well, I always knew in graduate school that I wanted to actually be a professor. That was my end game. And so in graduate school, I really made sure that um, I focused on that. I talked to people I knew that I wanted to do what at the time was a traditional route of doing a postdoc and then from the postdoc, finding a position in a university and then in a position in the university, moving up through that where I would move from just being um, a professor to then going on and actually being the probably chair of the department and then from the chair of the department, moving on into hopefully being uh, a dean, and from dean, of course, then moving into what I call the ivory tower of provost or uh, vice president or president. Yeah, so that was uh, the career path that I was on uh, for myself. I'm still in that pathway. Uh, you do find that there are challenges uh, while you're on the path of going to the ivory tower. And so I'm really trying to learn to navigate that portion of it. Uh, It has been a journey just to get to be a coordinator. Uh, You have to, at some point, uh, like in any position, 
prove to those who are in higher positions that you can do the job that needs to be done, that you have a skill set to make sure that what you say you can do, you can do, and that you continuously work at uh, making those things happen. So I found that to be uh, a great part of the, the journey, just um, really learning how to navigate those spaces. And at all times, I didn't know how to do that. And so uh, that's a learning experience for me. Um, right now, I do teach the pre-nursing courses. So I teach your anatomy and physiology uh, one. I teach your microbiology courses. I teach your biology of disease courses. And then I teach a lot of the general biology courses, you know, for the non-majors who do not wish to become doctors or scientists. Uh, and so those courses kind of keep me busy along with the duties that are associated with the coordinator position. Uh, I really like teaching. I realize I have a knack for it. Uh, a lot of students or a lot of my evaluation feedback states that I'm a great teacher, although I don't have awards that say, hey, she's a great teacher. Uh, I do have good evaluations that really um, hone in on the fact that I love what I do and the students can actually tell that from the way I interact with them and the way I teach. Uh, I remember having Dr. Bradford on and she talked about using music to uh, motivate her students in their learning. And I do a lot of musical references, uh, a lot of cultural references for me. And uh, I usually say to students, this is in my culture, this happens. But I try and use things that will give students some anchor to latch on to so that they can actually learn the material. I find that if you um, don't get bogged down first hand in all of the complexity of the subject matter and we kind of start broad broad <laughs> we kind of start start broad and then we work our way down to being more complex that helps students so i really try when i'm teaching to just make sure that students uh, really get the broader concept first and then walk our way in. I call it building the tree. And so, you know, if you're looking at a Christmas tree, the base is very wide. And then as we move up, it gets its peak. And that's how I try and teach. Uh, so that if you start at either end, either the tip of the tree or the base of the tree, you can always find your way. I don't know if that makes sense to my listeners, but to my students, I think it really helps. Uh, my goal is to always make sure that students are prepared for the next level. And so most of my students are looking to go into a professional school. So that means they're going to pharmacy school or to nursing school or to medical school. And so I always say, hey, I'm here to teach the base. You know, I am your base level of the pyramid. And everything after is what you build upon. So when you get into the professional schools, they're going to expect you to already know this, to already have a solid foundation. And so I'm that solid foundation of what you build upon. If I can't teach you these things, then your house will topple as you begin to move forward. Uh, and so I'm really cognizant of that, and I really try and uh, put a lot of effort into it. Even in COVID-19, as we move to a, a more virtual space, um, 
I'm still doing my best to prepare my students. I have been doing virtual learning um, since I got to Mercer in 2009. And that has definitely proved uh, to help us at this time. When uh, everything happened in March, I felt really good about where we were as a department because I knew since I came in 2009, I had been doing um, virtual labs for our science courses. And so in that vein, I really had us ahead of the schedule. So when we looked, most of our classes were already fully online and we could move forward offering students um, a comprehensive course with a lab all online with no time loss. So as a career, I really realized that I'm, and this is not me patting my back, but just knowing myself, I'm really good at curriculum development. Uh, I can really not only, you know, tell what things probably need to be taught, but actually how to structure a course and how to engage a student and how to teach the material, whether face-to-face -face and online, so that a student feels like they have really learned something and they walk away saying, wow, you know, I can never say Dr. Walthall didn't teach me something. Uh, and so that's um, where I realized that my strength lies and I really try and capitalize on that uh, at all times. So. Um, in my career, I right now am a career professor, science professor, and I really try and work uh, hard to make sure that my students get uh, the most out of me and the best out of me. And I really um, desire to make sure that all students can leave my class and feel empowered to either teach the topic themselves to someone else or to be able to help their child who might be uh, in school in a lower grade, but maybe revisiting some information and they, as the parent, have the answer. Um, or that um, when they're in a professional school and they are studying, they remember something that I taught them and it makes the pathway for them to actually pass the test and get that degree much easier. So that's where I stand in my career right now. Okay, well, we're now talking about your journey. And so Dr. Walthall, tell us a bit about how did you move through the STEM pipeline? Well, hey, good question, Dr. Walthall. So uh, <laughs> I know I'm tripping y'all out. I'm tripping myself out. But no, so my STEM journey uh, really started, I always remember this, in fourth grade, um, I was in gifted class with Miss Wilson, and she had us do a report on the anatomy of the body, and each one of us had a part, and so I had the heart. And I remember it was my first time learning that the heart was the size of your fist, and that it had four chambers, and that, you know, it pumped blood blood up and received blood and all of these things and I was just like the pulmonary arteries it was just so much and it just fascinated me it's like oh my god what is going on I didn't know this because I grew up thinking hey like most people the heart was shaped like the candy box sorry but that's where I was in fourth grade and so just imagine me um I am a fourth grader 
at Charles L. Hart School, uh, Elementary School in Bessemer, Alabama. It's on top of a red clay hill uh, at the bottom of the projects, the Southside Home Projects, which is where I'm from. And this is what I know, that the heart is shaped like the candy bar. And to be in a room with encyclopedias at the time, yes, I am aging myself. And to look and see that, no, that's not the case, but this is what the heart does. And this is how it works in your body. Just really opened the door to my curiosity about science. And that's just when I knew I wanted to know so much more. I wanted to know everything I could. And I determined for myself that I was gonna become a doctor. Now at that time it was an MD. And so, you know, I was ready uh, to learn all the information because I felt like I needed to know all of the science in order to become a doctor. Um, fast forward that to high school, an opportunity came up to um, apply to the Alabama School of Math and Science. It was a new residential high school in Mobile, Alabama, and they were only going to take the best and brightest. Not my words, theirs. So, hey, I applied. I got an interview and I was accepted. I was one of the 140 students that was in the inaugural class of the Alabama School of Math and Science in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, in that class, there were only 14 African-Americans, nine of them being female. So you can already see the demographics, right? So it's 140 of the best and brightest in the state of Alabama. And out of that 140, only 19 of them are African-American. And out of that 14, only nine of them are female. So talk about the statistics in STEM. Just talk about the statistics of what Alabama says their best and brightest. Um, but we were. I mean, the people that I met there were very dynamic. And uh, most of us, even if I think, yeah, the majority of us did remain in STEM uh, of those 19 minority students. Uh, African-American students, because there were other minorities as well. But nonetheless, um, that's where I really, um, they say the rubber meets the road. And that's how I felt. Um, it really began to make sense to me, a lot of things that I had been learning. Uh, I was really challenged. I remember it's where I got my first zero. And I always tell this story in class because it's totally hilarious. So you all should laugh as well. But I was in physics and it was Dr. Wheeler. And that was the big thing about ASMS. All of our professors were uh, PhDs. So here you are, a high school student taking classes from a PhD, a professor, right? And so I'm taking this physics class and I get back my quiz and I look at it and I was just like, what is this? So I go up to Dr. Wheeler and I say, Dr. Wheeler, uh, I don't know what you circled on my paper. Uh, what is this? And he was like, <laughs> Sabrina Wallfall, that is not a circle. It is a zero. What? <laughs> Devastated. Knocked all the way out. Just did not understand. What was this man saying to me? A zero? Who? What? Where? Not my paper. So that's the way I felt. Oh, Lord Jesus. And so after that, Dr. Wheeler couldn't get rid of me. I was at every tutorial, every office hour, every, everything. I basically lived with him in his office because I had never received a zero. 
It was not about to accept that I got zeros. Like, uh, not without another zero and a one in front of that zero. You know, 100s all the way. Uh-uh. So that really um, moved me to understand, like, <laughs> you were smart in the environment that you were in. <clears throat> now you've been put in what I consider to be a pool of other really smart kids. Where do you fit? Where, where are you? So in the end, to say where I fit, I did end up in the National Honor Society still, even while I'm at ASMS. And I did um, get into several colleges and universities and received scholarships, but I ended up choosing Emory. And again, I'm now in a space moving on into Emory where, um, hey, you know, really looking at everything and saying, Sabrina, you know, you're in this space where everybody here is smart. And this is where we hear a lot about uh, imposter syndrome, right? And so for me, uh, I faced it when I was at ASMS and here I am facing it again at Emory. It's just that when you grow up in a pot of people that look like you and you rise to the top of that pot, um, when you get in a, in a pot, meaning a mix of people um, that don't look like you, you really, you know, have a hard time finding out where you fit. And so with Emory, the first year was really extremely hard uh, because it's the weed out year. I had declared you know, that I was a biology major on the pre-med track, and that's the whole game, is to try and re weed out those who really can't make it. Um, and I was able to actually <laughs> stay afloat in my freshman year. I remember my sophomore year, um, seeing people in my freshman year no longer be in my classes. I was like, what happened? Uh, and they were like, hey, I decided it wasn't for me. And so, of course, that is fine and dandy. But it really um, showed me that the weed out process worked because the classes, of course, as you got uh, further into them, definitely got smaller. Um, one of the big things, events in my life of college that I think played a, a large role in just my mental state was I lost my mom my freshman year, spring semester. She was killed in a car accident. And so that, of course, for anybody is devastating. And for me, it was devastating, but also motivating. And it's just, it's my own little quirk. But in my hearts of hearts and in my mind, I knew that my mom was really proud of me being smart and being, um, the first child in the family to actually go to a four-year college. And so that meant a lot to me. And it was like, um, to continue her legacy, I guess I could say, was to not disappoint her in death, <laughs> if that makes any sense. But uh, to a young Sabrina, that really made a lot of sense. You know, you got to finish this, if nothing else, just to make your mom proud in heaven. And so I really um, came back two weeks after the funeral and got back in the game, if that's what you want to call it. I was really, though, happy. And this is one of the things that, for any of my college listeners or even parents who may have students in college, don't be afraid to 
tell your story or to let those in positions that can help know of your challenges. So one of the great things about it was that I told my teachers what had happened. And one of my professors, I was in Cal, Cal 1 at the time. He actually gave me his TA and he told the TA, whatever she needs, you help her with it so that she can catch up and make it through this class. I've never, you know, since then, I don't think anyone else have just given me over something like that and was just like, hey, this is yours. And it really helped that TA um, took time with me. Any questions I had, they would answer. It was really um, wonderful support that Emory gave me at that time. I also had a great financial aid advisor. And she, um, once she realized what had happened, just really worked to make sure that I didn't have the stress of the finances. Um, and so all of that pulled together was because I spoke up and I decided to share my story and let others know, like, this has happened in my life, but this is the path that I'm on. I, will, I want to continue. I just need your help in doing this. So all in all, in the end, <laughs> I ended up, um, of course, being able to graduate from him, as you heard in the uh, interview in the intro that I did graduate with my bachelor's of science still. So, um, yeah, moving on from undergrad and all of that, that went along. Uh, let me just say this too. I just wasn't all books. I did take time out for friends. I did pledge. Uh, I did have, um, interest in a lot of different things. So I just want to point out, you know, that um, you want to make college, you know, this is what I did. I really made college um, a supportive network for me. You know, I had, I feel like a four corner pillar of uh, support so that I could make it through. Because at this time, I really felt like I was on my own and I had to myself find those people who would um, help me along and take care of me. And still to these day, I have these friendships that uh, I'm very grateful for because they really helped me. Uh, I have to shout out to Winona Woods. Uh, at that time, she was like the best study partner anybody could ever have. Uh, yeah, Reginald Warren, have to... Dr. Reginald Warren. Have to shout him out because he definitely was the best tutor I could have ever had. Um, <laughs> Jay Quash pulled me through physics. So, you know, you just find those people who definitely um, help you get through your tough times. Um, and again, these are people who I see to this day and I'm just like, thank you so much because they may have not known the story at the time, or how they would play out in my story. But I do always uh, give shout outs to them, even in my classroom, because I know that it was because of that supportive system, the reason I was able to make it through. So for all my college listeners and parents who have students who are in college, please encourage them to definitely find study partners and to definitely find organizations that they can be a part of, part of that helps them um, find their balance. Even though you're in college and it can be steady, steady, steady all the time, 
you need that balance and uh, you need other students who look like you to help you through that. So just want to make that clear because I think that's really an important part of the journey. Uh, moving on from college. So we are talking about, uh, I took a two year break, you know, a lot had happened in college. So I felt like it was time to really um, just breathe. But the breather I chose to take would still be in my uh, field. So I found a position, again, using the resources that I had at hand. I went to a professor uh, at Emory and asked her about jobs that she may have known of that was in the field. And at the time, she knew that a researcher was looking for a research assistant. And so um, Dr. Marston, I have to shout her out. She was a great advisor. Uh, she sent me over to Spelman College to Dr. Jan Primer. And um, I bugged Dr. Primus to death. <laughs> and she ended up giving me a position as her uh, lab assistant. And I will say that's really where I grew. In terms of research, I didn't really understand how much I liked research or thinking about um, different experiments and coming up with them. But uh, Dr. Primus really brought that out of me. Um, May she rest in peace. She was really one of the first women who I met who had graduated from MIT with her PhD, uh, who was a Drosophila melanogaster geneticist, and who was just so smart. You know, you, <laughs> you hear about it all the time, but just to be witness of it, I really was um, enthralled by Dr. Primus and wanted to be her. And I remember one of the things she told me um, was, Sabrina Walthall, if you could do for one young lady what you said I've done for you, that would be more than enough for me. And that's all I've worked to do since then, to make sure that I have the same impact on some young lady in STEM that Dr. Jan Promise had on me, because that impact led me to get a PhD having uh, a background in Drosophila genetics. So, um, yeah, using your resources. So that was because of Dr. Marstella that I was able to meet Dr. Primus. Um, Dr. Primus then led me on the way to doing research and then encouraged me to actually go to grad school. So don't forget, I started Emory being a pre-med major. So all I knew in my head was that, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to be an MD. Um, and Dr. Pound was like, but you're good at this and you really seem to like it. You really should think about it. And as soon as I started thinking about it, this is when I say God started working. Doors just started opening. It was like the floodgates and voila. <laughs> I was, before you know it, uh, interviewing. Uh, I had more rejections, let me say, than yeses. So let's not get it twisted. Everybody wasn't like, oh, you want Sure. Columbia rejected. Stanford rejected. Berkeley rejected. Just want to just put that out there. But there were some yeses and UAB happened to be one of those yeses. And that proved to be the place that I needed to be because it also had a nurturing environment. Um, shout out to Wanda Jordan. Uh, her office definitely nurtured all of the uh, minority graduate students and made sure that not only did we uh, did they retain us, but that we 
matriculated on into higher education ourselves. So I really appreciate that. Um, but yes, yeah, so going back, I kind of stepped ahead with uh, thinking about going to graduate school. So I'm in this in-between spot. I'm working for Dr. Primer. She's telling me, hey, you probably should really think about graduate school. So I did. And that's how I ended up applying to UAB and getting accepted. What I did know at the time of applying to graduate school, that when you are going for a science degree, you got something called fellowships. And these fellowships actually paid your tuition, paid for books and computers, and also paid you. And so you would get a stipend like you were working to live off of. Now, <laughs> I know most people are like, what? Yes. So if you have a child that is interested in STEM, especially in the sciences, these things do happen. NIH, NSF, all of those um, government agencies have fellowships that students can receive to offset the cost of going to graduate school. So I got my graduate education for literally free, in a sense, because all I had to do was make sure that I stayed the course and completed the task of being a graduate student. So in the traditional sense of after finishing graduate school, you normally move on into a postdoc. And so for me, that postdoc um, was still at UAB. I went into a lab that my best friend at the time was in, um, and it was a lab dealing with epigenetics. So I was still in my field. I'm still dealing with genetics, but here I am now in an epigenetics lab. And so that lab uh, was treating Talis Ball, and in it, he was looking at the caloric restriction of cancer cells. And so I was looking at methylation um, and hyperacetylation to look to see if, as you restricted calories from those cancer cells, if any of the epigenetic markers were changing. And so that was a very exciting time uh, for me in the lab. Uh, that postdoc though was short-lived because um, something that was close to my heart came available, which was a postdoc position at the Community for Outreach Development at UAB. And so that postdoc took me down into the McWayne Science Center, where I began to uh, manage the lab there that would run simulation labs for high school students. So this is where me giving back to the city um, came into play. I really felt like I wanted to help change um, lives of students who were in Birmingham but who did not have the access to resources to be really good in STEM. They may have not chosen to go to Mobile, Alabama. Uh, the Alabama School of Fine Arts had added in a science curriculum by this time, but I still wanted to be a part of that STEM platform in the uh, metro area. And so working with CORD uh, and being in McWayne just really helped me uh, develop curriculum as well as continuously engage students. In the summer, I was able to also engage the teachers because we would be our teacher workshops where we would teach them molecular techniques that they could use in their classroom. They could borrow material. We have modules that you could pick up 
and that you could take to your classroom and actually engage students. And then we also had the resource of me at the time as an NSL GK12 fellow going out into the schools and actually doing some of the labs. And so that big part of um, my postdoc really uh, rang true to something inside of me that said that I really wanted to be the STEM advocate and activist for um, equality and inclusion in STEM uh, even today. And so I really try and pull from that from time to time uh, when I'm working uh, with nonprofit organizations, uh, I go and pull back from those days there to really try and help them make the impact that they want to in their communities. And so uh, my postdocs, traditionally you move from a postdoc on into your professor uh, at a university and hey, that's where I am now. So the journey is here. I'm still in the journey to myself. I um, am still looking to make the impact that I want, which is one of the reasons I started the podcast. I realized that I had a lot of uh, women of color that I knew that were in STEM, but you know, everybody doesn't make the front page of the news, uh, but they're still doing great work. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to create the STEM Lab podcast so that I could highlight these women who were out doing excellent work uh, being authentically themselves, but still uh, a part of the STEM family. And I just don't think that gets to be seen as much as I would like for it to. Um, and I think it really gives young women a chance to see those who look like them and say, hey, I remember hearing about her on that podcast, STEM Lab podcast, yes. And I want to uh, explore that a little bit more, mama. Or a mother hearing this and being like, hey, I've heard this. Um, have you ever heard of this particular career path? If not, I really want you know to encourage you to look into it. Uh, and so that's what this is all about. Me just uh, making sure that the women out there who I know and don't know, who I've met on Instagram, uh, are highlighted and that they are just as treasured as a Serena Williams. I love her to death, uh, but we have some of the heavy hitters too in STEM. And I just want to make sure that that's seen. And so that would be my journey, moving from elementary school uh, on up to college. Um, I will say this, that um, Spelman College played a big part in where I am. If it wasn't for Dr. Primus and Dr. Sheila McClure, who really took me under their wings and showed me that black women do science and that we do it well and that we get grants for this and that our minds are just as brilliant. Um, just seeing those women, um, Dr. Pamela Garner-Smith, just in action. It was such a great time in my life. Those were two years that I think really helped me develop. So I would say to anyone listening, uh, take those moments. Some people say, oh, if you take time off, you're never gonna um, go and do what you wanna do. Those two years that I took off of my academic trajectory really helped me um, focus more. Uh, I'm glad I did stay in a uh, 
in a position that was in the field that I wanted to be in because it helped me really think about things and introduced me to some new things. So um, one of my favorite bloggers, Demetria Lucas, I would say, don't waste your pretty. I would say, don't waste your scientific talent. You know, if you are thinking of taking time off, please try and do something in your field so you're still building up your resume as you go along. I think that is one of the uh, major takeaways that I would want anybody to uh, hear when they learn of my career path. So Dr. Walthall, at this segment of the podcast, we always ask our guests that age-old question. If you could reach back on any spectrum of the timeline and tell yourself um, how to persist in the STEM pipeline, what would you say to yourself at any age? Well, Dr. Walthall, thank you for asking that question. So if I were to look back, um, I guess the real second guessing for myself came in college. So I will really say to that college age Sabrina, um, don't worry, it's gonna be okay. You are as smart as you think you are uh, and other students are not as smart as they pretend to be. Hey! <laughs> because that is a lot of um, going on in the college arena where people always seem to know so much more than you do and in the end they don't know it so sabrina in college please girl don't let that get to you know what you know and know it well um if i even go back to an elementary sabrina i would say do what you did continue to be you continue to love science continue to be different um be that nerd that People are always talking about you always studying, you always in books, stay that way. Don't let them tell you any different because it pays off in the end. Um, to the graduate student, Sabrina, I would say, um, and I think um, Dr. Booker, Betty Booker came on and she said, don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah. Because like her, spent a lot of time in graduate school not wanting to ask questions because I still was in the belief of a Sabrina in college that people already knew more than I did. And come to find out, even in graduate school, they don't. You may have a few, and I mean a real tiny few, that are real heavy hitters, but they don't know as much as you. So when we say um, imposter syndrome is real, it really is. I fought through it a lot during my career, during my journey, uh, and even a little in my career. I have gotten to the place though where I try to be authentically me all the time, all day, every day. That's one thing that I've learned over the years. So as I sit here now, uh, that's definitely a part of my wisdom to be authentically you. Uh, To share your challenges, you never know who can help you. Uh, If it was not for me sharing my challenges when my mom passed, I would have never gotten the support that I needed to make it through and to continuously move forward and finish college still in four years. So I really learned from that, that if I am in a challenge that I need to let someone know because I'm never sure who can help. 
Uh, but definitely don't be afraid to do that. Sometimes we like to hide our challenges and that may not always be the best thing. And third, I've learned to bloom where planted. Um, I've learned that even in full bloom, you can be repotted, <laughs> meaning I can be a flowering daisy and you can move me from one pot to the next. So take advantage of where you are. Really learn from the place that you have been placed uh, because the nurturing and the information that you're getting in that place will help you when you move to the next pot. And um, I can't say to you enough how true that is, that you really have to take the moment. You know, sometimes we are such in a rush to get to the next, to the next, which is one of the great things I like, and I know this is crazy to say about the pandemic, is that it slowed us all down so that everybody's not rushing to get to the next, but they are actually having to take, um, be, take stock and be mindful of where they are and what can they learn in this moment. And so I'm really big on that. I'm big on that for students and I'm also big on that for myself. So in my wisdom of it all, I would say those are the three things that are right now in my life overarching. Uh, be authentically you, share your challenges and bloom where planted. I can't say it any better or enough. Thank you. Well, lab mates, I hope you enjoyed this segment with Dr. Walthall. She was awesome. Yes, she is. No, really, guys, I thank you for taking the time out to listen to me and just hear my story and really understand what I'm trying to do with the podcast. I really just want to showcase uh, women in STEM, especially women of color, because we are out there and we're doing amazing things. Uh, one of the reasons that I did start the podcast is that I read this quote. And it says, I long for more stories of women who are strong without being superheroes, who do not need to be extraordinary to be admirable. And this is by uh, Miss Adichie. And so I just resonated with that. And that's what I'm here to do. I really want to share the stories of women whose stories are not being shared, but they're doing wonderful things in STEM. So I really thank you all for taking time out as always to listen to the podcast you know i love you all uh i thank you so much and i hope to see you on the next episode so as always this is dr sabrina walthall and i look forward to talking to you again bye